Holistic Voice presents the Food Heals podcast with your hosts, Alison Melody and Susie Hardy. Join the Food Heals nation and learn the secrets to go from feeling unwell to healing yourself. Warning, side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, an increase in sexual activity, feelings of joy, cravings for kale and quinoa, and a spike in Tinder matches. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to put down the Ben and Jerry's, get off the couch, and take a walk outside. If you experience any of these symptoms, tell your Facebook friends immediately. All right, welcome Food Heals Nation. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Allison Melanie, coming at you straight from my brand new co-working space here in Wilmington, North Carolina, sitting up in one of the conference rooms. So I do apologize for the echo. I don't have a perfect recording studio right now that I'm doing this digital nomad thing. I've got a great microphone um, that is really good. It's unidirectional, so it only is going to record my voice and hopefully not too much of the uh, chaos around me with people walking by and that type of thing. So I I hope that the audio quality is up to your standards, but just know I'm doing my best doing this nomad thing here in Wilmington, North Carolina. Um, this is where I went to college. That's really cool to be back. So much has changed. I'm not going to lie, um, but I've got great friends here in Carolina Beach and Topsail, also in Raleigh, Durham, Cary, and Chapel Hill. So it's nice to be back for two months where I'm going to, you know, do my digital nomad thing. You know, I can podcast from anywhere. Luckily, I'm able to work from anywhere. So this is just a great opportunity to come home again. Um, So yeah, I'll be here. I'll be recording from this beautiful co-working space a lot. It's kind of cool because all of the conference rooms, which I'm in one right now, are named after um, references to Dawson's Creek and One Tree Hill, which are the two shows that I worked on before I moved to LA um, years ago. And so in college, I got to intern on Dawson's Creek, which led me to a job. I was the stand-in for Michelle Williams for a little while. Then that show ended. I was working at the news at WECT as one of the nightly news editors. Um, And I was also working on One Tree Hill as a stand-in and as a PA. Um, so all of the rooms are references to those shows. Right now I'm in Rivercourt. Across from me is Cape Side. So it's just a fun, cool experience to come full circle, to come home again. It's pretty cool. So um, today I have a really topic-based show, something that is very important, something that we always talk about, but I wanted to dedicate an entire show to because it is what one of the things we get the most questions about. So I'm just going to dive right in. I'm going to start with a question. So So what do cancer, autoimmune diseases, allergies, mental health, and fertility all have in common? The gut. (laughs) So your microbiome does everything from digesting food to absorbing minerals to regulating your immune system and even regulating your hormones. So we know it was Hippocrates who famously said, all disease starts in the gut. Well, he was wise beyond his time because in fact, many of the chronic diseases that we face today are caused by an unbalanced microbiome, an unbalanced gut. So think about this. If all disease begins in the gut, then guess what? That's where all the healing begins as well. So it's vitally important to heal our guts. And I've got four people on the show who are absolute experts. So in today's mashup, I'm bringing together four powerhouses of knowledge when it comes to gut and gut healing. First up, we've got Tina Anderson from Just Thrive Health. Then we've got author of Fiber Fueled, Dr. Will Bolshewitz. And then we've got integrative gastroenterologist, Dr. Marvin Singh. Finally, we've got naturopath, Catherine Maslin. But first... 
Okay, so that's what I'm doing right now. I'm sitting here, like I told you, in my cool co-working space. It is absolutely gorgeous. And I'm drinking one of my favorite drinks that I used to drink in LA at Alfred Coffee, okay? So when I lived in West Hollywood for years, I lived in between two Alfred Coffee shops, the one on Melrose, and then they had the one to go. There was two on Melrose, actually, and the one in Beverly Hills. So literally in five minutes of a five minute drive or a 15 minute walk, I could have my favorite Alfred coffee anytime that I wanted. And my go-to drink was the Chaga Chino. Okay. So I could not believe when Renewed, which is the brand that makes the Chaga Chino reached out and said, we want to work with food heels. I was like, uh, I Chagachino is my favorite drink in the whole world. And since leaving LA, in February. I have not been able to find a comparable drink on all of my adventures and now Renewed has sent it to my door. Okay. I could not be more excited. So let me tell you a little bit more about it. The Chagachino is your coffee's new BFF with benefit. So all you're going to do is you're going to add one packet of the Chagachino mix into your regular coffee or latte, and you're going to instantly transform it into an adaptogenic superfood mushroom-based mocha. It is delicious AF. I can attest to that. It's vegan. It's keto. It has no sugar and no calories. And if you're like me and you kind of have a sweet tooth and you're like, I want a sweet coffee, but I don't want to have sugar every day, I'm telling you, this is it. There's no nothing better than I have found in terms of a healthy coffee drink. So it's got ingredients you can pronounce like 100% wild forage chaga, raw cacao, Ceylon, cinnamon, monk fruit, and it's got no binders, no fillers, no emulsifiers, solvents, or preservatives. So you know, the recommended recipe is just two shots of espresso, one pack of the Chagachino mix, and your plant-based milk of choice over ice, just like a latte. You can also make it equally delicious in regular drip coffee, matcha, smoothies, or any of your favorite plant-based milks. It's got antioxidants. It's got the highest antioxidants ever measured. In fact, it has the equivalent, equivalent, excuse me, of three pounds of blueberries and it's amazing for immune support. So this is just a great addition to your daily routine. I still can't get over the fact that I would go on a regular basis, get my Chagachino. I would take all my friends there when they came to visit from out of town. I remember I brought Adam Shibley there and he was to the Beverly Hills one. He's like, where are the Kardashians? Is that a Kardashian? Um, and you know, I wouldn't be surprised if I saw one. I saw, I did see Jeremy Piven and his dog and my dog became friends at the, um, West Hollywood one, the one on Melrose. And so you never know who you were going to see at um, Alfred Coffee. It really was so much fun, the best. And it was my go-to. It was so freaking delicious. And now it's delivered to my door, this Chagachino. And it's healthy. I... I cannot, I can't even get over this. I'm so excited to be working with them. So it all is over at drinkrenewed.com. So the brand is called Renewed, R-E-N-U-D-E. That's nude, like naked. Use my promo code FOODHEALS at checkout. You'll get 15% off your order of Chagachino. That is drinkrenewed, R-E-N-U-D-E.com, promo code FOODHEALS. At checkout, 15% off your order of Chaga Chino. Check it out and let me know what you think. I'm telling you, it tastes exactly, exactly like the one from Alfred Coffee. All right, next up, my interview with Tina, then Dr. B, then Dr. Singh, and of course, Catherine Maslin. Roll it, Roxy. The Food Hills Podcast starts now. 
Can you tell us a little bit more about how the microbiome affects the rest of our body, not just our digestion? Yeah. Well, that's what's so exciting to find out how the microbiome, it impacts virtually every aspect of our overall health from diabetes to cancer to heart disease to skin health to mental health. All of these things are all dictated by the health of your microbiome. I mean, there is more and more research coming out on that um, all the time. And the thing that's scary is that our microbiome is being impacted on a daily basis in the world we live in right now. You know, antibiotics being one of the biggest offenders of gut health. The glyphosates and the GMOs, and that is a huge offender to our gut health. And the environment that we live in, the toxins, the food that we're eating, the processed foods, stress, which we're all under, all these things really are affecting our microbiome. And yet our microbiome, we now know, is affecting virtually every aspect of our overall health. Definitely, it affects our digestive health. People aren't thinking when they have a skin rash, oh, maybe I should start with a high-quality probiotic or you know, oh, I suffer from anxiety, you know, maybe I should focus on my gut health. People aren't thinking that. And I think they're starting to a little bit more now, thank God, your gut is dictating all of those aspects of health. And is it because if we don't have the appropriate, and I like to call them bugs, friendly Mm -hmm. bugs, if we don't have the appropriate (laughs) bugs in our gut, the friendly bacteria, if we don't have them, we're not breaking down our food properly? Is that why? And the nutrients? Well, what it is, it's actually an imbalance. So we call it dysbiosis, but it's basically like an imbalance in the gut. And when you have the good bacteria that is being taken over by the bad bacteria, there is dysbiosis going on and imbalance going on. So that's a factor. And then of course, the big one is leaky gut. Right. Yeah. So leaky gut is a huge problem. They estimate that 80%, if not more of the adult population has a leaky gut and doesn't even know it. We did a study with our formulation on leaky gut, which is a groundbreaking study. It's the first study of its kind out there. And I could go into that later, but it's really exciting. The findings were incredible. In that study, we tested college students and the college students, 55% of them had a leaky gut and didn't know it. Had no. These were college students that were not on any medication, had no issues at all. So people are walking around with a leaky gut and don't know it. And people will say, can I be tested for leaky gut? It's like, well, why bother? Because chances are that you probably have leaky gut. Can you tell our listeners what leaky gut is? Oh, yes. You know, it's really the name describes it perfectly. It's basically there's holes in the intestinal cell wall. So basically you have these holes, you have tight junctions that are along your intestinal lining. And when the tight junctions start to pull apart, toxins from your gut that are not really problematic start to seep into your bloodstream where they do become problematic. So when they go into your bloodstream, the immune system just starts this complete you know, attack on these basically invaders in your bloodstream. So the main toxin that we're talking about is LPS, which stands for lipopolysaccharides. So the LPS toxins will seep into your bloodstream and cause this inflammatory response and your immune system starts to attack them. So we know if you have an autoimmune disease, if you have food allergies, highly, highly likely that you have leaky gut. But they're estimating that, like we said, 80% of the adult population has a leaky gut. So they also are saying that leaky gut is, there was a study that just came out that showed the number one driver of Alzheimer's is heightened levels of LPS toxins in your bloodstream. Whoa. Yeah. They're saying that the heightened LPS level in your bloodstream is an indicator of heart disease and heart attacks. They'll test that sometimes at hospitals and emergency rooms. So 
We're not just talking about clearing up GERD and which is really important and, you know, diarrhea, constipation, bloating. I mean, this is serious stuff when you're talking about having a leaky gut. It's monumental. Like you said, it's all going back to the gut, but it's also implicating a lot of different disorders and issues that are being treated by pharmaceuticals that are not, you know, you're not looking at the root cause. You know, I remember hearing someone speak, a doctor actually, about leaky gut being caused from gluten intolerance and or gluten affecting the lining of the intestines where it's causing those holes. Very fascinating, but like I haven't read the latest studies, but it's all very interesting to me. What we're finding out too with gluten is it may not be the gluten. It may be- I don't think it is. Yeah. It's the glyphosates and it's the Roundup that's all over our food supply. So it- I mean- you guys, this was proved to Susie and I when we went to Italy and the people, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, the yeah. people who were gluten-free in the US because they absolutely had to be, were able to eat the gluten in Italy, in Europe, because it doesn't have the glycophosphate. It isn't grown the same way. It isn't processed the same way. It's a real whole food. It's not a processed food the way it is here. Yes. When we went on the Food Heals retreat last year to beautiful Amalfi, Italy, and I remember also just looking at the commercials on the TV when I did see the TV, and it was like the way that they even advertise food is so much different than here. Emphasis on natural. Really? Emphasis on, yeah. Emphasis on natural, emphasis on good quality, emphasis on pure, emphasis on like Italian made because their standards are so much higher. And when we were over there, I don't remember if this happened when we were there or previous, but the Italians actually protested Canadian wheat coming into their country because the Canadians have jumped onto our bandwagon and are using glyphosate. And they were like, we don't want your shitty wheat. We got our own. Thank you very much. And so they have a different standard. This is on my to-do list. I want to get Italian flour and make bread from it because I don't trust the crap in this country. (laughs) I know. I agree. I completely agree. And the problem is that I'm a huge proponent of eating organic food and trying to stay away from glyphosates and Roundup and everything and all of our food supply. And I always preach that. The problem is that even in this country, it's still being other foods that are trying to be cleaner, even getting contaminated. It's in the rainwater. I mean, it's all around us. So Europe definitely was doing something right by not allowing the glyphosate. So... Thank God for that. And you know what this all reminds me of this entire conversation that we're having is everything is connected. Every organ in the body is working together. And what I think is really interesting that I learned early on when doing this podcast that actually really affected me and my lifestyle and the way that I actually take probiotics is when you think about when you get sick, we're not even talking about having a chronic condition or leaky gut or anything like that. But when you just get a cold, everyone talks about boost the immune system, vitamin C, blah, blah, blah. And yes, of course, vitamin C is important and I'm not knocking it. I'm a huge fan. However, one thing that Gunnar Lovelace told us on one of our podcasts is that when he got sick, he was into healing the gut by taking a probiotic every hour when he was sick. I started incorporating that. And I'm telling you what, you can knock out a cold before it starts with this method. I do the vitamin C and other things too, don't get me wrong, but that is a very powerful healing tool because it's all connected. The gut is directly connected to the immune system. So you want to boost your immune system, heal your gut. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because when I was talking about all the other issues like heart disease, Alzheimer's, skin health, I mean, of course your immune system, 70% of your immune system is found in your gut. So it's like, don't ever think about that. It's the number one thing. Yeah. If I ever feel like I'm coming down with something, I'm taking three at a time or, you know, even more sometimes. So Tina, what does that mean? Does that mean the majority of our, it can't be our white blood cells. Like how is 70% of our immune system What does that mean? It's found in our gut lining. So it's communicating with the immune system. Oh, okay. 
Okay. And so glyphosate, does it kill the friendly bugs? What does glyphosate do to our gut? This is so bad. So you know that obviously we kind of all know that antibiotics are so bad because they kill the good bacteria along with the bad bacteria. But we know that we need to kill the bad bacteria. Here's what's so bad about glyphosate. It only targets the good bacteria. So glyphosate actually is registered as an antibiotic, but it only targets the good bacteria. What? Yeah. It's crazy. So it's really bad. So it's just really messing up the balance of your gut. Susie, I've never heard you get so upset. (laughs) I just saw, because I've seen, oh my God, I've seen documentaries about Monsanto and glyphosate and Roundup and, you know, you see the commercials on TV and I live in a very lush area. You know, I'm mowing my grass and there's weeds and I'm just thinking about like the average, like Roundup, it's great. It's been around forever. Use it. And then I remember watching documentaries about how Monsanto using glyphosate or GMO seeds that that have been sprayed with glyphosate and like sending them to South and Central America. And it's just everywhere. And it's a nightmare. And it's registered as an antibiotic. Like that blows blows my mind. I have no more words. Allie, back to you. (laughs) And the way they justified it is that the way it was allowed in this country, even though there was so much evidence against it, it was just that they were saying that glyphosate doesn't affect human cells is what they were claiming. The problem is that we're 10 times more bacterial cells than we are human. I mean, we're 10 times more bacteria than we are human. And yet we know that these glyphosates are impacting the health of our bacterial cells. And it's crazy that they somehow justified it saying it doesn't affect human cells, but it affects bacterial cells, which we are more of anyway. The good news is that we actually did a study on Roundup with our strains showing that these strains were reversing the damage of glyphosate. So, yeah, that's amazing. amazing. Again, another first of its kind study. We are, you know, obviously very research based. We have a double blind human clinical trial on leaky gut showing that these strains within 30 days reduce that LPS. Remember the LPS toxins we were talking about? It reduced those LPS toxins from entering the bloodstream by 42%. Crazy. Wow. Oh my God. Um, Also showed it reduced triglycerides. It actually decreased the ghrelin level, which was a surprising finding that we found. But what that tells us is that, of course, ghrelin is the hunger hormone. And so it basically, it told us that these strains are helping the gut and brain communicate with each other more than you're not on the strains. And so, and then, yeah, we, we have like 14 other clinical trials going on right now, but one of them that is just being completed is on glyphosate and Roundup and basically showing that, you know, we showed the impact that the glyphosates and Roundup had on the microbiome and that these strains started to reverse that damage from the glyphosate damage. So really exciting stuff. There is some good news and I would always encourage people to try to eat organic and eat clean as much as you can to avoid them. I don't even trust that anymore. I trust my farmer's market, but I was even watching a local, I'm up here in Bend, Oregon. I was watching a local interview or news station with like, I don't know if it's cable access or what I stumbled upon it. And they're talking about irradiating strawberries and it had some like symbol on it. I didn't even know about this and I'm sure the average person doesn't know what it means, but it means the strawberries were irradiated to like keep them fresher longer. And these two ladies were like... That's why they're at the top of the dirty dozen. And they were like, oh, do we know if this is good or bad? They're like, we don't know. So 
we don't know. And I'm like, of course it's bad. Like, that's horrible. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. I know. Oh my God. Yeah. So that's why they're at the top of the dirty dozen list. So you really have to pay attention to those lists. So you know, bananas are not as bad because you can peel and they're not as if affected by things. But strawberries are one of the ones at the top, unfortunately. So we have to be careful. But Tina, we talked about how like 90% of non-communicable diseases are a result of the leaky gut and how 70% of our immune system is found in the gut lining. But how about serotonin? How much of our happy hormone is found? 90% of our serotonin is produced in our gut. So really important. Dopamine is produced in the gut. People aren't realizing that, you know, I, I think, like I said, people are starting to realize it a lot more, but yeah, 90% of our serotonin is produced in our gut. So you see that all the time, people who have seen some results with the product from that alone, just being happier, feeling better, all of that kind of stuff. So probiotics can make you happier, everyone. <laughs> they put the pro oh, in probiotics. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, also weight management. People don't think about it. Basically, your gut microbiome dictates whether you're somebody that could look at a cupcake and gain 10 pounds or somebody that could eat 10 cupcakes and not gain any weight. So it's your bacteria and the way it's balanced out that's going to dictate whether or not how your body burns fat and metabolizes its food. So that's also really important. And the strains in Just Thrive actually increase your short-chain fatty acid production, which is really, really important for fat-burning metabolism, also really important for colon health. So got some really exciting things about that. Yeah, serotonin is important. It's your happy probiotic. So how many Thrive probiotics should we be taking per day? Does it vary per person? What do you recommend? Can we bathe in it? Like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's so easy, ladies. It's like one capsule of Just Thrive probiotic is all you need for a day. So the only times we would tell you to take more is if it were you know, you were not feeling well, or if you were on an antibiotic, another really cool feature of this product is that it's able to survive the presence of an antibiotic. It works the same. So one of the best ways I love to describe this product as opposed to other probiotics in the market is that if you envision a garden and the garden's been stepped on and trampled on, and there's weeds growing all over that garden, you kind of analogize that to your gut. These strains go in, they make it there hundred percent alive. A lot of probiotic strains have difficulty surviving the gastric system. They won't even get to the garden alive. Our strains get there 100% alive. They attach to the soil in the garden. So they attach to your intestinal cell wall in your gut. And then they go into that garden and they start to get rid of the weeds. So we've actually identified up to 14 different antibiotics these strains produce to help kill off pathogens in the gut. And then on the flip side, in that garden, they go to those plants that have been stepped on and trampled on and they bring them back to life. So the probiotic is like the gardener of the gut. It's getting rid of the bad guys, it's getting rid of the weeds, and it's helping restore the good bacteria that's already in your gut. And they stay there for about 21 to 28 days. So it's so simple. It's like the simplest thing you could do. I always say it's ground zero for health. I mean, if there's one supplement that you could take, it should be a 100% spore-based probiotic because these strains, you know, they get there, they get the job done. And now when your gut starts to, you know, not be as inflamed and it starts to be healthy, you're absorbing nutrients better. All the food that you're eating is being absorbed. You're getting the nutrients out of the food. Even other supplements you're going to be taking will be absorbed that much better when your gut is healthy and is no longer inflamed. So really, really important. And Tina, what's the difference between the spore-based as yours are and the regular or other probiotics? 
The biggest difference is the ability to survive the gastric system. That would probably be where we would start. Most probiotic products on the market have difficulty surviving the gastric system. In fact, we did a study on one that showed that a 50 billion CFU count product died off 99.99%. I mean, the overwhelming majority of probiotics are dying off in crazy amounts before they ever get to the intestines. So they never make it to the intestines alive. Our strains actually get there 100% alive because that's the way nature intended. These are strains that our ancestors got from nature. You know, we just believe you go back to the way our ancestors used to live and they ate off the land, they ate from the soil, and they would eat those roots and tubers and they would get the the soil and the soil had these bacteria in them. And so these strains have this endospore shell around themselves. So when I say spore based, I don't mean mushroom spore or anything like that. We just mean they have an endospore shell around themselves and they're able to naturally survive that harsh environment of the stomach. You know, the stomach obviously is very acidic, very hard to get through for most probiotic strains, but these have this like armor like shell around it. And it's not till they hit the intestines that they take the shell off and go into their live vegetative cell state. So when you go to a health food store, you see probiotics on the shelf. Many need to be refrigerated. And I could go into that myth in a second, but if it probiotic needs to be refrigerated, it means it's a live organism. And so for a long time, we would think, oh, well, that's better. You want to get a live organism. The problem is if they're alive, when they hit the stomach acid, they're going to die. I mean, when they hit the body temperature, they're going to die. You know, if they need to be refrigerated to stay alive, then how will they survive the body temperature, which is 98.6? I mean, they can't. Oh my God, that's so interesting. Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah, I mean, they can't even withstand the room temperature of the store shelf. So, how they're going to survive 98.6? And then, much less the harsh environment of, you know, the acidic environment of the stomach. So, these strains in Just Thrive, they have this armor like shell. And so, when they're in that armor like shell, they're dormant. So when you swallow them, they're dormant, they're not live, and it's not till they hit the intestines that they become alive. The other great thing about when they get there is they stay in the intestinal tract for about 21 to 28 days. So they're colonizing for about 21 to 28 days, and then they'll eventually leave the body. But where other probiotics on the market, let's just say they do get somehow, some of them get through there alive, they will just pass through food. And they will do something. I mean, we all know that people have taken probiotics before, they'll do something, they may give you some symptomatic relief, but they're not changing that garden. You know, if you go back to that garden analogy, they're planting maybe a new plant here and there, but the weeds are still there. The plants that have been stepped on, trampled on are still there. So they may be doing something, but they're not really affecting a huge change, which is what we need to do. Whenever you say shell, I think of an M&M, like a candy shell. I know that's in my own head, but it makes it more fun for me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) My favorite candy. Funny you mentioned that. (laughs) I'm loving this conversation so much. And so I want to talk about sources. So for me, like what I try to do is get natural food sources of probiotics in addition to taking a Thrive probiotic every day. But what about, Tina, when we see all these products now that are like probiotic infused, like there's teas or granola, is this still effective? Is this just a trend? What do we think about this? Yeah. Well, it depends on what type of probiotics. If they're spore-based probiotics, they should be able to survive 
the manufacturing process of being put in food. It really depends on the source. And that's why I always encourage people, you know, go to the manufacturer and ask them, let me see your gastric survivability study, which I know most consumers won't do that. But right, like I'm like, I will never do that. But I appreciate knowing it. And maybe some people will that are listening right now. They're like, you know what, I'm gonna do that. Right, right. (laughs) I don't have the time. Here's what I would do. If I were suffering and I were sick, I would absolutely do this diligence that we're talking about. Right. I mean, it is just really important that they survive. They will have a higher chance of surviving as a spore-based probiotic being put into food. Otherwise, I don't understand how they could be surviving at all in food if they're a lactobacillus or bifidobacter-based probiotic. You know, and a lot of companies will intercoat them. You know, of course, that's a big thing. And let's intercoat our lactobacillus and bifidobacter-based products because that way, you know, they'll make it to the intestines alive. But even if they do that, they're going to hit the bile salts and the bile salts will affect them. And then even if they do that, they're going to just pass through the gastric system. So it's still not a foolproof way. And again, it's in nature, we weren't in terracoding our bacteria. It's like we were eating it off the soil, which is basically, unfortunately, we can't do that anymore because our soil is contaminated. But we did the next closest thing, which was sourcing these same strains that were found abundantly in our soil. So I don't think that you're going to find too many probiotic rich foods, you know, in bars and that type of stuff. When you talk about fermented foods, that's actually another myth out there that will probably be controversial when I say it, but fermented foods, I am a huge fan of. I completely, I eat them all the time. I think they are so important to be eating on a regular basis. They do not replace a probiotic though, because they're producing lactobacillus and bifidobacter too, and those will die before they get to the intestines. So, however, we know there's so much benefit in the ferment. It's not a replacement for a probiotic. Is it really just our modern diet that has really messed us up? Did our ancient ancestors eat from the soil and there was nothing really to kill off that good bacteria? Is that why we're in this situation? Well, we're in this situation because... A, our soil is so depleted of these nutrients. We couldn't go in our backyards and find these bacillus spores. If you go to tribes in Tanzania, you'd be able to find these exact strains, find them in the soil. They'd be abundant in the soil, but you don't, you can't find those here. And I think why we're just so in trouble is what we talked about, the environment that we live in, the chemicals in our food, the stress that we're living with every day, the antibiotics in our food, the antibiotics we take, the glyphosates, Roundup, all of those things are just wreaking havoc every day on our gut. And we don't have anything to combat that. And that's the whole thing. These force strains are like the police of the gut. They're going in there and they're getting rid of the bad guys and they're taking care of the good guys. So, And we don't really have anything like that in our natural food supply that plays that role anymore because our soil is depleted. You know, I'm always a fan of get your nutrients from the food. So we have a prebiotic as part of our product line. And But I would always tell somebody, eat your prebiotics from fruits or from vegetables and you know Jerusalem artichokes and garlic and onion and all these other sources of prebiotics. There are lots of sources of prebiotics from food. The prebiotic that we have is a great source because it's only targeting the good bacteria. But either way, I still would say get it from your food. But With a probiotic, you can't get that. You're not going to get that from food. You're not going to get these spore-based strains from our food supply. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for breaking that 
down for us, Tina. I really appreciate it. So Food Heals Nation, stop throwing away money on probiotics that are going to die before they hit your gut and heal yourself. Boost your immunity with Just Thrive probiotics. Go to justthrivehealth.com. Use the coupon code FOODHEALS15. You'll get 15% off your order. Tina, thanks again so much for clarifying that. Oh, you bet. Thank you so much, Allison. All right, Food Heals Nation, I hope you enjoyed that excerpt from Susie and I's interview with Tina. That is back from episode 267. If you want to listen to the full episode, just download episode 267. You can hear the full interview there. Next up, I'm talking to Dr. B, Dr. Will Bolshewitz. But first, one thing that I've stayed consistent with, even though my life has been very inconsistent with my new digital nomad life, no longer being in LA, um, did Florida for a little while. Now I'm here in North Carolina for a little while. I think Nashville is next, but I'm being very consistent with my nutrition, even though I'm not consistent with other things. So joined a new gym, got to get my protein powder in, got to get my shake in every morning. And so that's why I'm doing my vanilla flavored protein powder by my friends at Ritual every single day. I join a new gym, so I'll do my smoothies before I work out, whether I'm taking one of their classes or I'm just going to work out on my own. Um, I'm doing the plant-based protein before, and it's made with pea protein. The vanilla is delicious. You guys should check it out if you haven't already. I know I've talked about it a lot, but that's because I think it's great, and I think you should try it too. So what is it? It's 20 grams of pea protein plus a complete amino acid profile, no added sugar, no sugar alcohols. It is soy-free, gluten-free, formulated with non-GMO ingredients. The vanilla is deliciously handcrafted, made from a direct-to-farmer vanilla bean extract, sustainably harvested in Madagascar. So why not be like me? Shake up your ritual. That's certainly something I've done this year. Try making something new, less scary. Ritual does offer a money-back guarantee if you're not 100% in love, but I think you will be. Plus, my listeners get 10% off during your first three months. Just go to ritual.com slash food heals, add your essential protein and your vitamins today. That is ritual.com slash food heals. All right, next up, my interview with Dr. B and co-hosted by Whitney. (laughs) I did not mean to rhyme. Sorry. (laughs) Don't hate me. All right. Enjoy this next interview. Roll it, Roxy. When you take antibiotics, like take the antibiotic Cipro, which I am sure that you have a ton of listeners who have taken Cipro for a urinary tract infection or something else. Okay. Yeah. Especially because, you know, urinary tract infections and yeast infections are so common. So common. You think of how often people, women are taking these things. Like, I don't know if they take them for yeast infections as well, but it's just like, this is so common for women. So yeast infection is related to a weakness in the gut microbiome, to be honest with you. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So if you take, five, so our data is very clear. If you take five days of Cipro, which by the way, it's usually prescribed for much longer than that, typically seven to 14. Mm-hmm. You take five days of Cipro, it is going to knock out 35% of the bacteria in your gut. Oh. Now that, that like by itself is a slap in the face, but it gets worse. The 65% that are left behind, those are not the ones that you want running the show. Right. And they're going to flourish and they're going to have a dominant influence in your gut from that day forward. Oh my God. That is the, those are the Cipro resistant bugs. Yeah, and they're, they're going to be. Party. 
they're having a party and they are they are they are growing and expanding as fast as they can to take over after the good guys well not necessarily just the good guys but i guess the bottom line is that when you take antibiotics there is no precision you can't just there's good bacteria and there's bad bacteria and most of them are good the vast 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 majority of them are good and there's no precision you're just napalming you know what i mean you're just napalming your gut and you're hoping that you get enough of the bad guys that okay the infection's gone but now here you are, you wiped out 35% of the bacteria, 65% that are, that are resistant, that are now dominating. And then here's the other issue that's huge. Our studies show us that although your numbers may grow back up, your gut will never be the same. Yep. And it will take years to remodel itself to get back to where it was before five days of antibiotics. Thank you, Dr. V, for telling us this, because this is what I believe. I think this is what happened to me. Whitney, I'm not sure if this is what happened to you. When I was growing up, every six months, I had what they called at the time tonsillitis. I would be on antibiotics <gasps> yes. for two, two weeks every six months. It was like clockwork. It was always on my birthday in December and always once in the summer. It was so crazy. I think I destroyed my gut at, at, a, at a young age, and I don't think it's ever fully recovered. And I eat the fermented foods, and I take my probiotics and my prebiotics, but Dr. B, what do we do when we've destroyed our guts? You know, good question. Yeah. It's your question. It's our question. You know, I'm bringing you guys back. We're getting you better tonight. Okay. So, but (laughs) it's happening. It's happening. This is, this is going to happen. So, but first, um, let me just say this. I just want to hammer home this point with kids. Okay. You know, this is it. So just to hammer this home, like this is an intensely vulnerable period of time from zero to two to three years of age. Okay. Yeah. And what we see is that if you deviate from nature's course, C-section, bottle feeding, antibiotics, all three result in the exact same outcomes in studies. Childhood obesity, increased allergic type issues, increased autoimmune type issues, and potentially even, this is a lot harder to study, a lot harder to prove because you're talking about extremely rare events. So it's hard to really tie it together in a way that's completely clean, but potentially also higher risk of cancer. And so, and it just goes back to what we were talking about, Ali, before, which is controls your metabolism, controls your immune system, controls your mood, controls your genetic expression. All health starts in the gut. So, All right. What do we do to make our gut healthy? Well, here's what's cool. And this is what I'm excited to talk to you guys about because this is Food Heals Podcast. There's a dude at the University of California, San Diego, who is like this guy is my hero. Um, I have such respect for him because he is changing the game. Like he's changing our understanding of health and disease. Okay. And his name is Rob Knight. So should I interview him? Obviously. <laughs> if you could, okay. if you could. Yeah. And so, so his name is Rob Knight okay. and this dude is brilliant and he's a, he's a laboratory researcher and he started something a few years ago called the American gut project. And so the American gut project is where basically anywhere in the country, you can go to their website, americangutproject.org, and they will ship you a kit. And basically, you give them a stool specimen, and you fill out a survey. And I think it costs 89 bucks. Not bad. And they are going to tell you what your microbiome looks like. Wow. Okay, cool. So, But what's cool is that as part of this, you are actually cataloging your data you know, um, anonymously, into a database that they use to study to understand 
the American gut? Like what is the microbiome in the United States and what affects or influences the microbiome? Because you fill out this survey telling them about your lifestyle. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Because that's how they're going to get the data that can actually move the needle and, sh- and, and lead to sustainable change. This is how you get the data. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Great. And so in May of 2017, at the biggest GI meeting of the year, biggest meeting in the world, Digestive Disease Week, Rob Knight comes to the podium and the thing that he wants to do is answer the question, what is the single greatest predictor of a healthy gut? And I want to tell you, I have no clue what Rob Knight eats, but I can tell you for a fact that I do not think that there was one bit of agenda or bias, that this was literally, this is a man of science and he is doing his science to answer these questions. Yep. Okay. And what do you guys think? Do you anyone anyone want to guess on what was the single greatest predictor of a healthy gut? Well, you told us the three things like the breastfeeding and all of that. So I'm guessing it's not one of those, or is it one of those? No, those are good, but those okay. are not those are not the single greatest predictor of a healthy gut in adulthood. I'm gonna guess eating less, like um, calorie restriction. What are you gonna guess, Whitney? Hmm. I'm so curious about your perspective on uh, fasting because that's been coming such a, a big trend right now. One guess is either fasting or calorie restriction. Whitney, do you have? No, I'm trying to think. <laughs> All right, you ready? Can I bring it? It is the diversity of the plants that you eat. Yay! We're Ooh. vegan. Woo! We win. <laughs> the single greatest predictor of the health of the microbiome is the diversity of the plants that you eat. And this makes complete sense because when we study the microbiome, there are a lot of inputs and influence into how your microbiome looks and how healthy it is. And yes, fasting can contribute to a healthy gut microbiome. And there's other things too. Sleeping can contribute to a healthy gut microbiome. Exercise can contribute to a healthy gut microbiome. But at the end of the day, the single greatest determinant of the makeup of your gut is the food that you eat. If you tell me what you eat, I can tell you what your microbiome looks like. If you show me what your microbiome looks like, I can tell you what you're eating. How long does it take for your body to reflect those changes? So let's just say today you say you decide that you're going to have a lot more plants and you're going to eat a diverse selection of plants. How long will it take for that to affect your gut in a serious way? The gut is changing right, like literally right this second in all of us, all your listeners at home, it is changing right this second. And so if you consume a salad for lunch, um, there will be changes in your gut microbiome over the course of the next few hours after that salad based upon what was in that salad. But that being said, that is different. Like those, those are ebbs and flows. Those are waves, but that's not the tide. At the end of the day, there is a core foundation. There is a makeup of the gut microbiome that is uniquely you and that is as different or as unique as your fingerprint. There is no one in the world who has a microbiome exactly like yours, including other vegans. They may be very similar, but theirs is different. And so, and there's a core foundation or structure that can be changed, but it takes time, like potentially years to really change. And so when people go to make dietary changes and they struggle with it, 
for example, people that make radical dietary changes and they just like, okay, like it's January 1st, here I go. Right. <laughs> Whole 30, you know what I mean? Like Whole 30, yeah. yeah. The, the problem is that you're shocking the system. Like that's not what your gut was built to eat. Your gut was built to eat whatever you were eating before. The best thing to do is to adapt and give it time and make the changes over the course of time and give your body a chance to keep up with what you're doing. So let's go back to the question of food sensitivities. And I'm sure you guys would agree with me. There are way more food sensitivities in 2018 than there were 20 years ago. (laughs) Right? Yeah. And I think the awareness is growing too, because like I said, when I was trying to figure out why I was having the reactions I was having, that didn't even come up. They tested me for allergies, which I don't think I have any. At the time, doctors were not talking, at least to me as a patient, about food sensitivities. Well, most of them will not, honestly. Most of them will not. So, And the issue is that, first of all, we have to separate out food allergies from food sensitivities. A food allergy causes activation of the immune system which can lead to lip swelling, hives, throat closing, you know, that's a different reaction than someone who develops bloating, abdominal distension, diarrhea, constipation, abdominal discomfort. That's a sensitivity. That's what we're talking about. And for me, there's definitely, I don't have the allergic reaction, but in addition to the list of other things you just mentioned about sensitivities, I also, my main symptom with food is that I, it's all my sinuses and doctors were never able to figure out why I was having that. But when I took certain foods out of my diet, all those sinus issues went away. And that goes back to the fact that 70% of your immune system is in your gut. And so when you control the gut, then you have better control over the immune system, including allergic type issues like that. And so, but The challenge with food sensitivities, and I apologize because what I'm going to say, I think is going to sound very different than probably what you guys have heard in other places. Okay. Let's hear it. The the challenge with food sensitivities is that, I'll say this, like elimination is not the solution. Mm. Because the problem is because you will have short-term gain when you eliminate, you will experience short-term gain, but our studies make it very clear that there will be long-term loss. And there's a reason why. The number one predictor of a healthy gut is the diversity of the plants that you eat. If you eliminate foods, what is happening to the diversity of the plants that you eat? It's being reduced. Right. You're, You're restricting the diversity and our diversity as a culture in the United States, we're creatures of habit. And so our diversity comparable to prior generations, if you go back over the last couple hundred years, is actually pathetically low. You would think that we have better access to food because we have such industry, but our the actual diversity of the food that most Americans are eating is incredibly low. And so I think about it this way. Here's the analogy that I would use to try to encourage people to not eliminate And I want to try to explain this and unpack this because it's complicated. And I want people to really understand where I'm coming from with this because I understand that I'm coming from a funny place saying something different than most people probably are saying. I would compare it to your gut being a muscle. Pretend that you are a weightlifter and you break your arm and your arm goes into a cast for six months and you remove that cast and now you have an atrophic weak arm. And you're so used to going to the gym and picking up the 40-pound dumbbell 
and ripping off curls. And I don't even know if you can do 15 pounds right now. And if you try to push yourself too hard, too fast, you're going to hurt yourself. So that doesn't mean that you shouldn't go to the gym. That doesn't mean that you should throw in the towel on that. Yeah, you could stay at home and not work out and you're not going to hurt yourself by not working out. You're also not going to make yourself stronger. So you're a fan of the slow changing. You need slow changes. So you go back to the gym and you might start off with a weight that seems pathetically small relative to who you used to be. But you, you go to that weight and you do it until you're ready to move up to the next weight and you just have to work with your body and allow it to adapt to what you're doing. It's almost like you're recommending that you have a personal trainer for your gut. <laughs> I feel like most of us do not know this information. And you know, as you're saying this, I'm thinking of, I would love to eat the foods that I've had reactions to. I really miss them. And I've tried having them. And every time I have them, I get a reaction. I have tried different amounts and all that. And I, it's just that ongoing frustration of, well, I guess I can't have this food anymore. And you're right. It does limit the diversity of, of what I'm consuming. So it's like, as you're giving this analogy of going to the gym and working out, you think, wow, if only I had somebody that would tell me exactly how much of this food to have and when to have it so that I can build up my, my gut strength and maybe be able to have it again. I wish that it was easy. And if I were your personal gut trainer and like literally sleeping on your couch and hanging out and <laughs> we're drinking wine like all the time, if I were that person, I still wouldn't be able to tell you what that is because you're the person who's in touch with your own body. Mm. And maybe that's the big thing is so many people are out of touch with their bodies. Yeah. Well, you need, yeah. And so I would encourage you to tap into how you feel, but let me like, think about it this way. Like, you, I know you guys don't drink dairy and I don't drink dairy either, but if someone who drinks milk and is lactose intolerant, there is an, there is an amount of milk that I could put onto their tongue and they swallow and they're not going to get diarrhea. Right. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can, I can take, I can take like a medicine dropper and put three drops of milk on their tongue and they're not going to get diarrhea from that. Sure. It's the amount of milk that they consume at once that overwhelms the system and leads to symptoms because they're not capable of processing that. Right. And that's so true. I've noticed that with, with those foods I'm sensitive to, I've noticed a huge difference in the amounts that I have and how I react to them. Totally. And it starts, it starts with first identifying where the problem lies. And so you guys, I'm sure have heard about the low FODMAP diet. Yeah. What about the low histamine as well, which I feel like isn't talked about as much, but I've, I've had some success using that diet as well. So the low FODMAP diet is built on the principle that there's parts of our food that are fermented and the fermentation can trigger symptoms in the gut. Now, I will tell you that many times the parts of our food that are fermented are actually the healthiest parts of our food. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so in many cases, it's a mistake to not have adequate amounts of these foods or to get rid of them. And the reason why I'd say the things that I do is not just based upon Rob Knight speaking at the podium in this one, this one presentation. No, 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 no. There's a lot more data to support what I'm saying. People who do the low FODMAP diet and eliminate foods, our studies are very clear. It damages the microbiome. Wow. And so the way that the low FODMAP diet is meant to be used, which is not the way that most people are using it right now. In fact, not even the way that most doctors are recommending it. And it's wrong. It's, it shows a misunderstanding of, the, of this tool. 
the way that it's meant to be used is that you use this list of foods which contain FODMAPs to help you to identify what your food triggers are. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got ya. And then when you have a list of your food triggers, now you are ready to start to tinker And how you go about doing that is a personal choice. If you want to temporarily eliminate a food and just tinker with one thing at a time, I'm okay with that. But the the point from my perspective is that when you have this list of foods that trigger symptoms, don't get rid of them. What you have to do is you have to start to reintroduce them because the problem is that dysbiosis, damage to the gut microbiome is what got you, I don't mean like you personally, I just mean this theoretical person It's what got this theoretical person to this place to begin with. And to restrict those foods is to worsen and further the dysbiosis to make the gut even weaker. So let me um, say a scenario and tell me if I'm right or wrong. So if I discover on my own account that I am gluten sensitive and I decide to go gluten free, it is more damaging to be gluten free than it is to just be gluten light, like gluten, very, very little gluten. So with the caveat that if you have celiac disease, you need to be 100% pure gluten-free. The microbiome studies are, again, suggesting that people that go gluten-free cause damage to their gut microbiome. And the reason why is we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. If you think about gluten, it comes from three sources, wheat, barley, and rye. Now, when was the last time that you picked up wheat, barley, and rye and put it into your mouth in whole form? Like, honestly, no one does. It's always processed food. It's always processed food. But there can be minimally processed wheat, barley, and rye that are considered whole grains. And those are some of the most powerful, fertile things for feeding a healthy gut. But when you process your food, the way that I think about it is take any food, take kale, like take the healthiest food on the planet, whatever you think it is, I'll use kale and process it. And it's going to lose nutrients and it's going to gain whatever stuff it is that you're using to process it, additives, chemicals, preservatives. And at some point it crosses the line and it stops being healthy and it starts being unhealthy. And so this is the issue with gluten-containing foods is that a huge part of them are refined grains that are super processed and they come in a package that's not just the gluten, but includes all of these other things that I don't think we should be consuming anyway. Like you want to eliminate stuff. I say eliminate processed food. I say eliminate dairy and I say eliminate animal products because our microbiome studies don't show us in any way that you need those things. But what they do show us is that the closer that you are to being a vegan, the healthier your gut is going to be. And I say that independent of Rob Knight. There are studies that show us that basically the microbiome is a spectrum and that there's actually a difference between a vegan and a vegetarian in terms of the microbiome. And there are benefits to being the vegan as opposed to the vegetarian. Whitney, we went That's what we like to hear. All right, Food Heals Nation, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. B. If you want to hear the full episode, that is from episode 240. So go back and download episode 240 where we talk about the secrets to a healthy microbiome. All right, next up, we're talking to Dr. Marvin Singh. But first, 
You've heard me talk about Anna Lemma. It is just so cool. I've been introducing it to a lot of people, especially traveling. People think it's really interesting and really cool. I've taken it with me to conferences now, and I pretty much introduce it to everyone I meet because I'm always drinking water, right? And so I pull it out, and I'm like, look at this cool device. So what is Analemma? It's a revolutionary new device that transforms regular tap water into its supercharged, structured, coherent state. Okay, let's break that down. So in regular water, H2O molecules move around in this chaotic manner, but you're going to take the analemma wand that you're going to get, and you're going to swirl it through the water, just like you're stirring. It's no big deal. What this wand does is it transforms the water by rearranging the H2O molecules into the liquid crystalline structure. That structure and its stability have a remarkable influence on all living things. So what Analemma did is they tested the water on humans, animals, and plants, and they found remarkable results, like anti-aging properties like you've never heard of, okay? Analemma water regenerates your entire body. It balances your brain waves and puts your entire being into a state of coherence. So they did an independent study done with glycan age, and glycan age measures the age that your body is, not how old you are, right? And the study with glycan age showed that drinking analemma water rejuvenated the biological age by one up to 12 years within only three months of drinking the water. You heard me on another podcast make Ashley taste test the water. And she was like, um, girl, I don't drink tap water, but this tastes delicious. So she's a fan. If you are convinced and you want to check it out too, you can use my coupon code food heals. You'll get 10% off your purchase. That's over at analemma-water.com, A-N-A-L-E-M-M-A-water.com. Use the coupon code FOODHEALS and you can save on your Analemma wand 10% off your order. All right, next up, my interview with Dr. Marvin Singh. Roll it, Roxy. Take us through what you do, because I know a lot of people who have gastrointestinal issues and they are struggling. And sometimes they discover diet and nutrition and food allergies, and sometimes they don't. And I know every case is different, but what are some things that you would recommend that everyone can do to optimize their health and wellness? Well, some of the basics are actually going back to the basics. Yeah. <laughs> um, you wouldn't think so, but things such as how well you're sleeping, how much you're moving on a regular basis, how you're reducing stress, your social interconnections, how much you're having fun, hanging out, all of those things actually play a large role. We often think, oh, it's the diet, nutrition, it's diet, nutrition. And diet, nutrition does play a large role. I mean, it's like one of the key factors, but I think everybody knows that. And what we take for granted is that there are other things that actually can play a role as well. And all of these factors actually can impact the gut microbiome and what the microbiome does. One of the fascinating studies that I recently reviewed uh, when I was writing a book chapter was a statistic that they said in the study that if you practice four or more lifestyle measures then your risk of all-cause mortality is reduced by 66%. Oh, wow. So think about that for a second. That's 
pretty crazy, right? That means if you eat a good diet, you exercise, you sleep, and you do yoga, you have a 66% reduced risk of dying from any cause. Great. I do all those things. (laughs) (laughs) So you're good. (laughs) I hope so. You know, all of these things actually can impact the microbiome. I mean, stress can affect the microbiome. Diet can affect the microbiome, how much you're sleeping, toxic exposures can affect the microbiome. And, you know, for those who may not know, the microbiome is basically this ecosystem of bacteria that live inside of our digestive tract. There are trillions of these bacteria, viruses, and fungi, and they live together basically like in a big city, a metropolis inside of uh, our digestive tract. And they kind (laughs) of rule the whole system. They let off hormones, neurotransmitters, chemicals. It affects how we think. It affects how we can remember things. It gives us sensations and regulates our digestion and how our body works. And so if we take care of those little bacteria inside of our digestive tracts, then they will take care of us in return. So take my probiotics and I'll be fine? (laughs) Probably a little bit more than that. The probiotics may help, but it's probably not going to be the only thing because we have these bacteria that are there and we want them to cooperate with the entire system. It's not necessarily about one bacteria or two bacteria. It's about what the entire system is doing collectively. And so probiotics can kind of help shift the balance and create a little bit of a better environment. But you got to do some of the other things as well. Like I tell people, you know, you can't go to McDonald's every day or eat fast food every day and think that you're okay if you eat your probiotics because it doesn't really work that way. (laughs) Exactly. No, and I'm joking, but it's because I feel like every time people see those commercials about gut health, it's just like, eat this yogurt and you'll be great. And it's like, that yogurt is full of sugar. And I know you're passionate about telling people, get off the sugar, get on the fiber. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sugar is bad, fiber is good. That's my mantra. I say it over and over again in my office all day long. Sugar is basically is like a drug you can think of it as. It helps feed the bad bacteria in our microbiome and helps keep the entire system imbalanced. And so fiber is, you can kind of think of it as like the antidote. I mean, fiber is what the good bacteria want. And when you give the good bacteria fiber, they digest it. And as a result, they dump off short-chain fatty acids in our digestive tract. And short-chain fatty acids are like butyrates is an example of one that most people may have heard of. And these are compounds that are anti-inflammatory. So they reduce inflammation. They help keep the balance. And they may even have some chemotherapeutic effects. So, you know, I tell people, you know, if you eat your spinach and your broccoli, you may be taking chemo in one sense and protecting yourself from getting colon cancer one day. But not the poisonous chemo. (laughs) Not the poisonous chemo. It's a good chemo. (laughs) It's a preventive chemo. (laughs) Got it. Okay. Just wanted to clarify. (laughs) So I know a lot of people that kind of live on these fiber pills and I've certainly taken them when I have been on a cleanse and it's been part of the protocol call and things like that. But I really try to get my fiber from foods. But if we're just starting out, Dr. Singh, where should we be getting our fiber? Really, the best place to get the fiber from is from food. The supplements and stuff are good if you need a little extra boost, but 
you don't necessarily need the supplements if you can get it through nutrition because not only does dietary sources give you the fiber, but they give you a ton of other things, you know, antioxidants, vitamins, minerals, and things like that. So you're getting more than fiber. Choose what fiber sources you go for. You can actually maximize it. For example, you may not know, but a serving size of raspberries could give you eight to nine grams of fiber. I mean, that's a lot of fiber, you know, if you think about it, and you could probably down a container of raspberries in five minutes and not think twice about it. So, but when you have the raspberries, you're also getting vitamin C, you're getting all kinds of other vitamins and minerals that are good for you as well. The thing that I dislike with some of these fiber supplements is that you got to look at the label, the ingredients on the fiber supplements as well. Just because a fiber supplement doesn't mean that it's completely innocent or benign. Some of these fiber supplements may have food coloring and food, you know, additives and things like that, sometimes even sugar in it. So you think you're doing yourself some good, but actually you may be doing yourself some good, but also some bad at the same time. Okay, so settle this debate for me. A lot of people have come on this podcast with differing opinions. I love raspberries. I put frozen raspberries in my smoothie almost on a daily basis. But here's the debate. So we're anti-sugar, we're pro-fiber, but some people would argue that when fruit sugar hits the body, it is almost as bad as white sugar, which I don't think is true. But can you talk a little bit about what the difference is between the fruit sugar and the Snickers sugar? (laughs) Great question. So the classic example, I guess, for comparison, since we're talking about drinks, is a smoothie versus a juice. So when you juice something, you're losing a lot of the fiber content and you're getting a lot of the liquid sugary stuff. When you have a smoothie, you're grinding the whole food together and you're drinking it. And so you're getting all the fiber content as well. And it's obviously better to eat it because of how fast the fiber is digested. Because when you're blending anything up, you're kind of already doing part of the digestion before it even gets in your GI tract. But the point is that when a fruit is packaged with fiber, the spike of sugar that you get in your bloodstream is a lot less. So that's why fruit can be good for you, but fruit can also not be so good for you either, depending on which fruit it is. Some fruits are very high in sugar. For example, you know, pears are like the classic prototype for fructose. Pears are very high in sugar. Pears are high FODMAP type food. These are the types of sugars that can cause, you know, bloating and things like that. And so what we want to do is eat fruits, but you want to maybe focus on the fruits that are Lower glycemic fruits like the berries, for example, are some of the best fruits in my opinion because they have a lot of health benefits and the impact on your blood sugar is a lot less. That's not to say you can never have a mango in your life, you know, but do you think of those kind of things maybe more as a treat as opposed to something that you should, you know, eat every day all the time? Yeah, I'm a big fan of berries, you know, the antioxidant properties, the anti-cancer properties. So I do try to have berries on a daily basis when possible. And then, yeah, I'll leave some of the other bananas and more sugary fruits for more of a treat in a smoothie or something like that and just have it more sparingly. But I still believe in the power of fruits. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, fruits. And, you know, and it's really to answer your question is the fiber. If you have, you know, a candy, for example, there's really pretty much no fiber or very little fiber in it. 
depending on what the candy is, I guess, but it's mainly sugar. But if you have raspberries, there's really no comparison. I mean, it has sugar in it also, but you're packaging it with fiber. So when it gets into your stomach and your stomach starts digesting and breaking down the food, the rate of absorption of sugar in your bloodstream is less because the fiber slows that process down. Okay, I've got another debate to settle because you brought up juicing versus smoothieing. And I definitely do both. But I was recently at a cocktail party, and this is the type of thing that healthy, conscious vegan people talk about over a cocktail is juicing versus smoothing. So one person was arguing that because the juice takes the fiber out, it is not healthy to drink. And the other person was of the medical medium camp of arguing that celery juice is a medicine. And if it's not juiced, if it's eaten as is, it's still good for you. Don't get me wrong, but you don't get the healing benefits of the medicine of the juice celery. And I believe both. I think both are healthy, but I don't know. What do you think, Dr. Singh, about juicing versus smoothing and, and the medical medium celery juice phenomenon? Yeah, I mean, I'm not really sure how much actual evidence or scientific literature is there to support drinking tons of celery juice. I have actually seen some people in the last few months and the celery juice thing kind of made it big uh, coming in reporting that they're feeling better from it. But I think we have to be a little cautious with how much of juice we're drinking because juice is sugar. A lot of sugar, and I would prefer smoothies because you're getting more out of it than just the the juice of the fruit or, or whatever you're juicing. So if we're starting today, is one smoothie a day a good place to start? Where would you start a patient who's just like, I want to get off the fast food, I want to heal my gut? What are some recommendations that you would make? I always tell people to take it easy in the beginning because you go and you talk to them about like all the different lifestyle measures and things that you can do can be overwhelming. And so, you know, if you go and you try to do everything at once, it may be like way too overwhelming for them to try to implement all of that at one time. So what I usually say is kind of a rule of thumb is that we'll talk about all these things. We'll continue to talk about all these things, but I want you to start thinking about maybe making one change a week, a couple changes a week. Well, slowly by slowly, you'll start adding up all the changes. And, you know, after a year, you're going to have made a ton of changes, a lot more changes than most other people would have made in that same time period. And you'll feel like a totally different person. But what really happens is that you start making, you know, one change or two changes a week. And you start seeing the benefit of that over the subsequent weeks and months, and it becomes cumulative. So just how, you know, when you do a lot of wrong things, your health can snowball downhill. I also tell people that it can snowball uphill too. You can get better and better as you start doing more and more things. And that one or two things a week that you originally recommended may end up becoming five or six things just because they start saying, oh, I want to try this. I want to do this. I'm going to cook this way. Now I'm going to take a yoga class. And, you know, it just kind of becomes cumulative like that. And so you never want to try to feel like you're overwhelming yourself. And that's kind of one of my sayings when I talk to people in the office because I think a lot of people feel that they have to go to an extreme in order to get something accomplished to make themselves feel better. And that's really kind of where a lot of people are missing the mark is when you go in an extreme, it's kind of an extreme response that your body sees too. So if you're like, oh, I got to lose weight, I got to go on this extreme diet, 
and that's how I'm going to lose weight because that's how my coworker at work lost weight and I have a wedding to go to. So I got to do this now. You probably will lose weight. That's what will happen. You will lose weight, but you're not going to lose weight the right way. Because what happens is you'll lose weight, you'll go to the wedding and you'll look good. And then afterwards you'll gain it back maybe plus more too, because you kind of put your system into shock. You overwhelm the system and the body actually said, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Did something good happen or did something bad happen? I think you lost 10 pounds in two weeks. I'm going to take that as a negative. And so I'm going to set the barometer a little bit higher. So we're going to gain that weight back. And now it's going to be harder for you to lose weight next time because we're trying to protect you. So you kind of mess up how your system works that way. Yeah, and it makes sense. And I know that myself, I've experienced this. I know many Food Heals Nation listeners and guests have experienced this where you're doing that and it takes time to figure out like what is the right diet for you. And when I say diet, I mean lifestyle. I don't mean crash diet so that you lose it and then gain it back. And I know we're all individuals, but there's something that you talk about that I'm curious to learn more about and it's nutritional genetics. And you know, we're all different, right? There's no perfect diet for everyone that's going to apply to every person. So how does nutritional genetics play into the perfect diet for each of us as an individual? So in order to understand how to optimize the good ingredients you give to your body, it's interesting to learn and find out about how your body is built to process certain vitamins and minerals. For example, you could have a gene mutation that might give you less of a response to vitamin C. So if I give you a dose of vitamin C and I give somebody else a dose of vitamin C, and a dose doesn't have to mean supplement, we could be talking about foods too. But if I give two people the same amount of vitamin C and one person doesn't have the gene mutation and the other person does have the gene mutation, then both people will have a different level of vitamin C in their system as a result, even though they ate the same exact thing or took the same exact vitamin C supplement. So if you know that you may have a genetic predisposition to having vitamin C deficiency or lower levels of vitamin C in response to certain foods, then you may want to eat more of those foods that have vitamin C to make sure that you get enough of those antioxidants in your system. And so it's one thing to say, well, we can check our food sensitivities and see what we're sensitive to. We can do an elimination diet. We can eat this way. We can eat that way. But DNA is something that it's not really going to change. That's who you are. That's what you're made up of. It's your DNA. So if you understand what you're made up of and what goes into how your body processes things, then you can at least have an advantage on how you eat and how you manage your life. So I do use nutritional genetics in order to help understand how to advise people and how to eat particular kinds of foods. So I know for myself, I've done functional medicine testing where they test my blood, stool, spit, hair, <laughs> pee, all of the things, right? Every so how do you part. do this? Yeah. <laughs> To discover like what my body needs more of, what it needs less of, what I'm allergic to, what I'm sensitive to. And it's mind blowing because like I didn't even know I had avocado, which I now I don't I don't have anymore. But originally I tested sensitive to avocado, which I thought was a health food that I should eat every day. Right. So you never know. It could not just be sugar that we have to avoid, but there could be a vegetable that your best friend can eat all the broccoli in the world, but you can't. So tell me about how the test, the nutritional genetics. And is that something that you do at your practice? Is that something that we 
can call you for? Like, how can we work with you to get that done? Yeah, exactly. So I have a wellness program where I do a lot of these highly specialized testing on people and try to put together an individualized program for them. Nutritional genetics is just one part of it. And I think that's the other thing, same thing with like going to the extremes of diet in order to try to optimize your health, you can't really rely on one test alone in order to make a recommendation on how to eat. And that's kind of what I learned along the way with my own personal health and with taking care of other patients and stuff. And so nutritional genetics is part of it. You know, you're looking at specific sensitivities and putting that in context of what conditions you might have, if you have autoimmune disease, if you have Hashimoto's or you have SIBO, all those things kind of play into it, looking at the microbiome and what's going on there. So I do all these kind of things and then I look at all the results together and then I make basically, you know, a very unique plan for that person. And so I can basically say, well, you know, you should eat like this, you should eat this much of this much and so on and so forth. And that kind of plays a large role in helping people kind of get back on track because you understand who you are and what you're made up of and where you're coming from. And then you can try to give your body exactly what it might need in order to help you, you know, get ahead. Yes, it has to be a comprehensive look. I really appreciate what you do. You know, I just had a girlfriend go, the smoothie bars in LA now have the hair test and it's like 50 bucks or something. I don't know. In the smoothie bar? Yes. Oh, really? (laughs) That's a new thing. I hadn't heard of that one. (laughs) Here's the thing that's good about it. It's a gateway into health. But she goes and she gets this done and then she's like, well, this is everything I need to know now. And I'm like, no, it's not. This is a very small part of a bigger picture. But I'm excited and I want to encourage people like, great, go spend your 50 bucks at the juice bar, the smoothie bar, get your hair tested. But then you've got to do the next level stuff, especially if you're suffering and especially if you're experiencing any kind of discomfort that is probably inflammation that is leading to dis-ease. So at the end, I'm going to give you a big shout out. Where can we find you online? But for anyone listening right now, how could they get started in working with you? Where do we start? Well, I'm in San Diego and I have a program and my website basically has my email. There's phone number. You can send me a message through there. So it's very easy to get a hold of me. www.drmarvinsing.com. Just shoot me a message and we can get you plugged in. No problem. I hope you enjoyed that excerpt from my interview with Dr. Singh. If you want to listen to the full episode, go back and download episode 263 of the Food Heals podcast, and you can hear the full conversation there. All right, next up, and last but not least, it's my girl, Catherine Maslin. You're going to love her, Food Heals Nation, but first... You've heard Ashley and I talk about this. You know, I make everyone taste test everything that I can, and we had a blast at tasting Sovereignty. So what is Sovereignty? It's a niche supplement company focused on creating only the best supplements in the world to make the greatest impact on your day. So they've got two formulas that I'm into. The first one is their Game Changing Purpose Plus. This one is specifically for energy and 
focus, right? This is for your workouts. This is for your endless to-do list. This is also if you're unmotivated or lacking focus, right? And of course, they've got their Dream Plus formula. I don't have to tell you what that is. That just makes falling asleep and staying asleep way easier than counting sheep. So there's so many great testimonials that you can check out. One of them is from Patrick M. who says, if you could take only one supplement, this is the one. I felt amazing with their specific blend of Ayurvedic and adaptogenic herbs. I am hooked. Or like this one about Dream Plus from Suzanne W. She says, I have tried everything to help me fall asleep and stay asleep. This product is amazing. Works great and no hungover feeling in the morning. We all know what it's like to take that sleeping pill, natural or not, and feel hungover. So that's one of the perks, the pluses of taking the Dream Plus. So whether you're a peak performance athlete, a biohacker, a stay-at-home mom, or an entrepreneur, check out this product. It's light years better than coffee. Purpose Plus gives you a natural feeling boost without the jitters or the crash. And of course, when you're ready to chill out, restore, at the end of the day, you can enjoy the Dream Plus about an hour before bed, and that'll help calm your body, calm your mind, help you wind down before being lulled into the best night's sleep you've had in years. So check them out. They're both formulated by world-leading experts in Ayurvedic and adaptogenic herbs. So sovereignty. Let me tell you about the website. It's real easy now. You don't have to figure out how to spell sovereignty. Go to sov.live or sov.live. Actually, it's probably live. (laughs) Sov.live, L-I-V-E, because you want to live your best life. Use the coupon code FOODHEALS. You'll get 20% off your purchase. Yes, it is sov. Dot live. So www.sov.live, L-I-V-E. Coupon code FOODHEALS, 20% off your order. Go check it out. Let me know what you think. Motivation all day, sleep well and dream well all night. Sov.live, FOODHEALS is the coupon code for 20% off your purchase from Sovereignty. If you're not happy with your results, don't forget you get a money back guarantee on your first order within 30 days of your purchase. Solve.live. Let me know what you think. Coupon code FOODHEALS. Next up, my interview with Catherine Maslin. She's my sister from another mister, my Australian bestie. I mean, we are the same person. It's just she has a sexier accent than me. Hope you enjoy this. Roll it, Roxy. And I really want to get into um, women's health and fertility and how that's related to our microbiome and what are the things that we can do to boost our fertility. You know, I'm so sick of hearing, Catherine, that when you're over 35, you have a geriatric pregnancy and like all the, the, the buzzwords that they say to scare women into, you know, that they need all these things to have a child and boost your fertility. Can you, can you break that down for us? What is the truth? I think it's really interesting because quite often um, we get clients coming into the clinic and they're terrified that they're not going to be able to fall pregnant, terrified. And what I say to them is one in six couples experience infertility, which means five in six don't. So it is, it's most likely that you're not going to have an issue. However, we do want to be a little bit proactive and do a bit of planning. And this is for you, um, but also for the health of your child. Um, So what I would say to people is, and obviously babies aren't always planned and they often aren't, but if you have the opportunity and it's in your mind that you're like, okay, well, you know, we're going to stop using contraception and see what happens, then it is worthwhile doing what I call a little bit of preconception care. So the reason why people have a, a bit of issues with fertility these days is 
largely due to environmental toxicity. Um, so this is too many what we call xenoestrogens or endocrine disrupting chemicals in the environment. And we can talk about where they come from in a moment. Um, also eating too many of the foods they shouldn't be. So refined carbohydrates, sugars, you know, trans fats, foods that are actually causing inflammation and damage to the DNA of the body. And then simply not getting enough nutrition to make a quality egg and sperm. So they're sort of the major factors that people need to look at. So if you're wanting to have a baby, this is where you need to look. You need to look at cleaning up the environment, cutting toxicity out of your diet, improving the nutrients so that you've got enough there to have that healthy egg and sperm. And also addressing your stress levels and seeing how that feeds into things too. So it is a really big issue. Unfortunately, a lot of the clients come to us when they've already been trying for, you know, a year, two years, eight years sometimes going through IVF and going through all this stuff. So it's really heartbreaking for people at that point. You know, the infertility is, they show in studies, is second really only to losing a loved one in the stress that it can cause in people's lives. Um, every time these women go through a cycle and aren't pregnant, they go through a loss and grieving process. And then that can be happening, you know, you're talking 12, 24 cycles in a row. It can really, really take its toll. So what we want to look at is, okay, well, what are all the factors and what are all the pieces for you? So not everybody might need to be taking every herb, but for certain people, there's going to be different patterns that show up. So one of the big ones is environmental toxicity. And this is something I think that we all need to have a look at. Um, I interviewed Dr. Ailey Cohen, who wrote a textbook on this for The Shift, and she was talking about it in the US, and it's very similar to here. So there's a number of environmental toxins that affect our hormones and have been associated with conditions like infertility, PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, endometriosis, and those type of things. And uh, these endocrine disrupting chemicals come from plastics, so bisphenol chemicals. And I want to just make mention here, because I'm sure most of your listeners would have heard of BPA, but when a plastic is BPA-free, it has other bisphenol chemicals, so BPS, BPD. And BPS, for example, has been shown to be up to 100 times more potent than BPA and it's much less studied. So it really... Oh, my God. Yes, yes. And this is what happens because it's industry, right? So they know that BPA needs to be taken out. They take it out but they don't mention the other stuff. And then us as consumers think we're doing the right thing. We're buying BPA-free baby bottles for our babies. We're drinking out of our water bottles. Um, We're having perhaps even um, coffee cups, stuff like that, that are supposed to be BPA-free but they've actually got other bisphenol chemicals in them. It's the same thing as when they take out things like it's fat free, they take out all the fat, then they load it with sugar, it's gluten free, and then they load it with something else. And it's just, it's still garbage. Exactly. So I would be cautious on anything that says that it's something free. (laughs) What what, what have they replaced that with? (laughs) The other thing to mention around BPA that people don't realize is that when you heat plastic, it releases up to 55 times more BPA into your food or drink. So some very good examples of that is using your Tupperware or plastic in the microwave, big no-no. Canned food, which is lined with plastic and then heat treated to preserve it. And the other huge one is coffee. So both coffee cups are lined with plastic or they might be polystyrene, or K-cups. So when I travelled around the US, every single hotel I stayed at had K-cups, you know, and also everything was plastic. 
the cutlery was plastic, the cups were plastic, and I was just like, oh, my goodness, this is a major problem. So if you can imagine you're putting this plastic coffee pod, it's putting piping hot water through it, and then you're putting it in a plastic-lined coffee cup and you're drinking that every single day, day in, day out. That will severely impact your hormones because BPA is estrogenic in the body. So what happens then is it then binds to your estrogen receptors, it turns it up, and it means you're much more likely to get conditions like breast cancer, endometriosis. Okay, so... That's the big first big one. The other really big one is anything with fragrance in it. So anything that smells and has a scent has fragrance and it will say on the label literally fragrance or parfum, really easy to identify. But those fragrances are preserved with phthalates. So phthalates are spelled P-H-T-H-A-L-A-T-E-S, so the phthalates. <laughs> um, but these phthalate chemicals actually have a, an endocrine-disrupting effect in the body as well and they're highly associated with infertility and, again, PCOS, endometriosis, and breast cancer. Interestingly, most breast cancer occurs on the outer third of the breast, which is where women put their deodorant on. There's a lot of stuff that shows this. So it's a really easy one. If you're listening to this podcast, go around your home and have a look at what you're using. Dishwashing liquid, body wash, hand wash, soap, shampoo and conditioners, any personal care items that you're using, any cleaning products that you use. And what you'll find is unless you've gone down the natural route already, is that you're using these things every single day throughout your home. So there, uh, there is a lot that we can do to eliminate that. And that's really education around stopping using plastic, switching to glass, stainless steel ceramics instead, and looking at using only products that are fragranced with essential oils. So not having these chemical fragrances in them. And simply by doing those two things, it will actually cut out a huge proportion of, of the stuff that you're exposed to every day. Um, the other really big source of, of chemical toxins are pesticides. So eating organic is, is really important and another really important thing you can do. And I know it can be really difficult because obviously you have listeners all over the world probably and depending on what you can get or grow or source. But what I would recommend um, is having a look at the Environmental Working Group's Dirty Dozen and Clean 15 list, which is released every year. And this will give you an idea of which are the dirtiest fruit and veggies, the 12 that have the most pesticides and which don't have much at all. And at least then you can make informed choices. So for instance, apples are always really high up there. So if you love apples and you're eating an apple every day, you might consider switching to something like pineapple that's been shown to have much lower levels of toxins. So there's right, and strawberries too, which is my favorite. It's always I at know. the top of the dirty <laughs> Me too. Berries. And, and it's so tough, isn't it? Because some of these foods are the healthiest you would, you would think, but then yeah. you're getting these doses of pesticides in them as well. Yeah. And going back to the products that are in our household, I think it was the environmental working group that had the stat, but it was something like the average woman uses 12 products a day and that exposes you to 168 unique chemicals. And so that's just in a day. 168. And that's just in your home. And then you go to the office and there's different cleaning chemicals and hand wash and those horrible fragrance things that spray at you when you're in the bathroom that I hate. Um, I hate them. Yeah, everywhere. Um, In your car, potentially, you know, you've got deodorizers and things like that as well. Like I hate it when I... I can't get in an Uber when they have those smelly things. I'm like, get me out of here. Yeah, that's exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. And you're just like, oh God, I was um, in an Uber the other day and it was raining. And I had to put the window down. He um, probably rated me one star, I'm sure, but I could not he breathe. Did. You're, he, but you're like, I can't breathe. You're getting one star right back at you. I tell 
Well, I tell them, I don't care what they think of me. I don't care. I like my Uber rating, but it's not sacred enough for me not to say anything. I'm literally like, that's toxic. You shouldn't have it in here. It's really bad for you. And it's harming you you and your passengers. I say it nicely. I try to start a really nice conversation. Um, But And some people are open to it. And some people are like, what the fuck are you talking about? But it's still worth it because if you affect one person out of 10, I think it's worth it. Absolutely. And we all know like it's a time thing and a, and a information repet- repetition thing. We all know that person sure. that we've told about something once and then they come back like a year later and go, oh, I heard this on oh, TV yeah. and now I'm doing this. So it works eventually. Like, I told you that a year ago, bitch. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we get it with couples. Just couples story. come in for a consultation. Um, I'll say something like, I've been telling you to do that for a year. It's like, yeah, it doesn't work right. though. It doesn't work. You can't tell your partner what to do. It just never works. <laughs> There's a really good episode of Modern Family on this where the whole time the wife, Claire, is mad at the husband and you don't know why. And in the end, it's it's the fact is, is that she always recommended the salad and he never ate it. And then he went to dinner with his friend and his friend recommended the salad. And he was like, you know what, Claire? I just love this salad. And she wouldn't speak to him for like a week. She was like, I told you about the salad. <laughs> Yeah. And I bet there's people listening right now that are like, yep, that's totally happened to me. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Let me go back to fertility for just a moment. Um, because I do know a story of a friend of mine. She had done the IBF multiple times and was unable to conceive and then started working with functional medicine practitioner who um, specialized in fertility and got pregnant right away. And one of the things that she had to do that a lot of women are guilty of is she had to give up her Starbucks habit because she would go to Starbucks every day and get a plastic cup. And there are endocrine disruptors, just as you said, in the top of the cup in uh, Starbucks. And I'm sure many other places, Starbucks is just the example because it's everywhere. But A, bring your own glass, bring your own mug, bring your own cup, BPA free, all the things. I, I just bring a glass from home. I just brought it the other day to my favorite matcha place called Chacha Matcha. First of all, you get 25 cents off, which I know is not a lot, but hey, that's a, a meter I could feed her over a year. If I did it every day, that could be like a hundred bucks. I don't know. But I brought my own glass and they literally say, thank you so much for bringing your own glass. Like they love it. And then you're not being exposed to those chemicals. And then for me, I was having a healthy drink. So I have my healthy matcha drink. But if you're going to do the coffee and hopefully you don't do it with all the sugar and chemical laden syrups. But if you're going to do it, at least bring your own glass. You're not getting that heated up plastic, just like you said. Yep, that's right. And it's the little things, you know, all of these little things add up over time and it can seem really overwhelming because you're like, you've got to stop this and this and this and this. But really, if you just chip away at it and go, all right, well, I've, I've got the information and I just need to really work through this. For a lot of my patients, there's certain things I get them to bin, such as margarine, but for a lot of them, they want to work through their pantry. Like, okay, I'm going to use up what I've got. I don't want to waste. I'm like, that's okay. You can do that. We've just got to take time. I think people really overestimate what they can get done in a short period of time, but underestimate what they can get done in a longer period of time. And this is where it's really about that journey. You've got to give yourself time to change and time to heal and then be kind with yourself that you don't have to do everything at once. And if you don't do everything at once, you're not a failure because of it. Yeah, that's a really good point. And well, well said. It's like, we can't judge ourselves. We have to be gentle with ourselves. Do one thing at a time. You'll start feeling a little bit better each day. Eating more foods that counteract some of these toxins. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because we know that we're, we're ingesting all these things environmentally, sometimes voluntarily, sometimes not voluntarily. So what are some things that we can do to counteract what's happening to us regardless of how good we're doing? 
So every single minute of every single day, your body is detoxifying, um, regardless of what's thrown at us. So our, our body produces natural metabolites that we need to detox. So because we have this inundation of all these other toxins, we do need to be really aware to try and help those processes work as much as they can. So number one, purified water. Okay. Um, the answer I get most often from my patients, how much water do you drink a day? Not enough. <laughs> okay. And uh, the majority of people kind of fall into this camp. Coffee is not water. Tea is not water. Soft drink is not water. Okay. So we need to be drinking around that eight cups um, or two liters a day. It's fine. And it needs to be purified because if you're drinking tap water, you're getting chlorine, you might be getting fluoride, but you're also getting heavy metal contaminants and other things depending on where you're living and where that water's coming from. So having you enough. You could be getting pharmaceutical drugs and birth control. And like, uh, it's so mm. scary. Like, Oh, you're infertile. You might be drinking birth control out of your tap because people flush disgusting things. Uh-huh. Yep. Absolutely. So a really good quality water filter is important um, because that's going to help to flush both through the kidneys, but also through the gut and digestive system. The other really big one is fiber. Okay. So fiber is good for your gut microbiome, of course, and a lot of the detoxification will happen in your gut microbiome. But fiber is really important because it binds to the toxins and it carries it out of the body. So if you have a diet that's low in fiber, what happens is the digestive system becomes slower. You will reabsorb the toxins that your body is trying to eliminate. If you're not passing a bowel movement every single day, or if you are and they're hard or pellety, um, I can tell you now that you're going to have increased toxins because of that. And in fact, coming back to endometriosis, I find a large proportion of women with endo have a long-standing history of chronic constipation. Okay? And this is this buildup of hormones. The body's trying to get them out, but it's also really good at recycling. So if it sits in the gut for too long, it's going to actually recycle that. And fiber we're going to find in plant foods. Okay. So whole grains, gluten-free whole grains like brown rice, buckwheat, quinoa, millet, um, in nuts and seeds. We're going to find fiber in fruit and vegetables and especially the peels of fruit and vegetables. So for instance, with a potato, 90% of the fiber is in the skin. And what do we normally do with it? <laughs> we peel, right. peel it, right? And throw away the best bit. <laughs> so don't peel your carrots, don't peel your potatoes, get a nice little natural bristle brush and just give it a good scrub, right? As we were talking about earlier, it won't hurt you to eat a little bit of dirt if it's organic. Okay. So I do organic potatoes. I scrub them. I actually don't mind if a little bit of dirt's left on there. I throw them in the pot, I throw them in the oven and not like crazy amounts, right? There's not chunks of dirt on there. Um, but I'm not as pedantic as, as I maybe once would have been, but I need to know where it's coming from. Other sources of fiber, legumes. So lentils, chickpeas, and beans are fantastic sources of fiber as well. So even if you eat meat, really everyone needs to have a plant-based diet. Okay. So even if meat is on top of that, it should be mostly plants and a big variety of different plants. So fiber is really important and people don't talk about it enough. It's not sexy like cacao or maca or chia seeds, um, but fiber. Superfoods. I know, super but sexy, it's, super it's so more important than any, any of those things like foundations, fiber. The other thing is a family of vegetables called cruciferous vegetables. So cruciferous vegetables are everyone's favorites as a kid, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cauliflower, radishes. This family of vegetables has a thing called indole compounds in them. So we prescribe them to our patients in clinic in concentrated amounts. But if you eat them every day, what these indole compounds will do is they'll help you to detoxify estrogen down a healthy pathway, which is really important for preventing fertility issues, preventing 
breast cancer as well. And uh, cruciferous vegetables have been found to be cancer preventative in general. So they're a really important food to have in your diet every single day. And a way that you could up that if you're finding you're not getting enough is you could do something like making a cauliflower soup and having that for your snacks instead of more snacky foods, stuff like that, you know, roasting these vegetables as well to give them different flavors. You know, there's only so much steamed broccoli you can eat, but you just need to be <laughs> a little bit innovative with, with getting these into the diet. Um, the other group of foods that I would recommend are the spices. So turmeric being obviously one of the biggest ones. Turmeric's the most well-researched herb when it comes to all kinds of health benefits. But in regards to detoxification, it helps to upregulate your phase one and two detox. And what that does is it's the, it's the way that your, de- your cells are detoxifying to help to remove stuff out of the system. So turmeric is a really excellent one to include in the diet. Um, a little tip with turmeric, it needs fat to absorb. So if you're having juice with turmeric in it, you're probably not actually going to be absorbing much of the good stuff. It really needs to have that oil or fat. So for instance, if you're making a turmeric latte, um, which um, yeah, I don't know if that's really big like matcha lattes in the US, but it is here at the moment. The turmeric latte has a few different spices, but you might want to add an extra teaspoon of coconut oil into that, which will help you absorb those good compounds from it. Yay, that's what I do. Oh, that's how I make mine. Winning. <laughs> yep, and it's yum. It makes it really creamy and delicious. Yeah. Um, yeah, so there, there are some of the key things that you want to include in your diet. A whole food diet, you know, a whole food organic diet is, is where you really want to go with this. But those three things I think are the most important. Yeah, those are really good. Thank you so much. And I do appreciate the fact like what you said is like, yes, our bodies are constantly detoxing, but when we are overloading them with toxins at all times, whether it's our lifestyle choices or the environmental factors that we often can't control, or we just don't know about whether it's the coffee lids or the plastic bottles, we don't even know we're doing it. It's like the body can only detox so much. So we have to assist it today. We don't know what the Wi-Fi is doing to us. We don't know what the cell phone radiation is doing to us. Like, you know, there are people saying things and studies and conspiracy theories, but I want to be on the safe side. So I'm going to get in all my greens that I can, all my superfoods that I can, all my fruits and vegetables that I can so that I'm assisting my body and detoxing at all times. And like you said, the purified water. And I very often do my juice cleanses, which I do juice, soups, sometimes smoothies. Sometimes I do just liquid. Sometimes I do liquid with fiber. Just depends on where I am and what I'm doing. But those are temporary cleanses to reset my body's like natural point so that I can detox a bunch of stuff out and kind of start from zero again. And yeah, things are going to build back up. That is just life. That is what happens. I'm not going to stop drinking a glass of wine once in a while. So I'm going to enjoy my life. And I'm also going to make sure that I give my body the breaks that it needs and also consistently help it to detox. Same. And this is where we resonate really closely because I do the same thing, yeah. you know, and I, I like to live my life. I like wine. I like chocolate. Sometimes I like pizza, you know, that's, that's my life. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I also love doing fasting detoxes and juice cleansers, you know, and that type of thing as well and retreats. So it's balance, you know, it's finding how can you nurture yourself because sometimes having a glass of red wine with the girlfriends is nurturing for your soul. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. 100%. Celebration with your girlfriend. But if you can make it organic, it'd be really good because red wine or or wine is really high in pesticides just because grapes are really high in pesticides. So just be aware of that. Coffee and tea are also very high in pesticides. So this is where have these things, but just be aware if you've got the option, go organic if you can. 
Yeah, I totally agree. And I try to do as little pesticides, as little sulfites, as organic as possible when it comes to what I purchase in terms of coffee, tea, wine, whatever it may be. But then sometimes you're out and you can't control it. And that's when I give myself grace and I go, you know what, I'm going to be fine because I am naturally detoxing tomorrow and yesterday. And and this is where creating that great foundation, you know, make your everyday diet awesome so that you can eat out and you can do other stuff and you don't feel like you're guilty or it doesn't affect your body because you're able to be a bit more robust because of that foundation that you've built. Exactly. This is why we're the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. We're basically (laughs) twins. Food Heals Nation. I hope you enjoyed our interview with Catherine and I hope you enjoyed all the excerpts from interviews today in today's mashup all about gut health. Send it to someone who needs it. I hope it helps you. These are episodes I listen to over and over when I want to remind myself how to heal my gut, what the truth is, right? So hopefully it helped you out today. Special announcement, if you haven't contacted me and you're one of our swag bag winners, you may not know it. So go back and listen to the last two episodes because at the end of those episodes, I announce the swag bag winners and I haven't heard from everyone. So make sure you email me your address if you are one of our winners. I want to make sure I send out that swag bag as soon as possible so you can get your swag on, get your food heel swag on. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I love you. I appreciate you. See you next time. Food Heals Nation. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Side effects of this podcast may include increased health and vitality, thoughts of living longer, developing a more positive outlook on life. In rare cases, people have experienced a strong desire to put down the Ben and Jerry's, get off the couch, and take a walk outside. If you experience any of these symptoms, tell your Facebook friends immediately.